Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I have a great honor of having someone who is pretty legendary in our industry. I have Aaron Kerman, who is the star of Listing Impossible and probably holding the record for the greatest uh, sale of average sales price per foot or something of that nature, something amazing like that. Aaron, welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you for having me and thanks for the, the nice introduction. Well, listen, you did it. <laughs> You're just living it. And so like the introduction was earned. So you literally- It's still nice to hear. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> You're literally one of the most successful real estate agents in the country. But before we take a deep dive into your career, which is pretty amazing, I would love for you to just share with the listeners a little bit about your background. You know, we've had a great pleasure of having, the podcast is now distributed in 70 countries. So I know that a lot of people know you, but not everyone will. So just a little bit about your background would be awesome. Perfect. Um, long story short, uh, grew up with severe learning disabilities, couldn't speak very well. I couldn't say the word R and my, you know, my name had two R's in it. And so I had a lot of challenges growing up. And uh, the one thing I knew I liked ever since I was like six was houses. Uh, I remember I would ride my bike into neighborhoods and literally break into houses at the age of six. I shouldn't admit that, but I did. <laughs> um, and I think I even like played the juvenile crimes. They're fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As long as you didn't get caught, right? Uh, and so that was just like the one thing I had always loved. And then as I got older, um, I couldn't keep a job. I got fired from pretty much all of my jobs I, because I, I didn't see numbers correct. I was like the worst waiter in the history of waiters. I remember I used to owe them money at the end of every shift. I would have to pay out of my credit card like 200 bucks. And, um, and, uh, and I said to myself, my God, I really need to find something where I am the boss and somebody is not my boss. And so when I was 18 or 17, actually, I was like, I'm going to go into real estate. And I went into real estate. Um, I worked for a couple of people, got fired got my license. And that was the moment that sort of changed history because at that point I was my own boss and all of a sudden it just changed my world. And, um, and I, I had a very different outlook on what I needed to do and how I needed to get there. I love that. So you went from breaking into houses at six to showing them at 18. Correct. Correct. Well, <laughs> well, well to be technical, I got, you know, we couldn't afford to pay for college. Um, you know, I came from a very modest family. And so I was in ROTC. I got kicked out of ROTC. And all of a sudden I had like a $200,000 college bill. And so that was how I, uh, so during college, I was actually selling real estate. And that's how I, you know, got, got the ball rolling. So tell me how it all started at 18. Who did you start working with? What did you start doing? Because you went, to, you're, you're at the pinnacle. So tell yeah. me how you take that journey. I didn't, I didn't know the people I know today. I wasn't built into that world. So um, I literally had to build it from ground up. So, um, you know, my first, you know, few houses were in the Valley, which is the suburb of Los Angeles. Um, they were two, $300,000 houses, 150, 300. Um, and eventually, you know, I just started to grow. I started to meet some of the right people. I remember um, getting fired from a company and, um, there was this really small boutique company, uh, which is no longer in existence that specialized in architecture. And I got a call one day, I was like 18, 19 years old. And the guy was like, I want a Richard Neutra, who's a very famous architect from, you know, the forties to sixties. And I was like, Oh, I can find you one of those. I had no idea who he was. I didn't know anything about it. 
Um, I remember I took the guy out and I got, I was so dyslexic. I, I couldn't find it. And it was before cell phones and maps. So I was like, and, and then this guy who was a client walked away from me dizzy, nauseous. And I was like, that guy will never work for me, you know, with me again. Long story short, I called him. He lived in San Francisco and he's like, I, I, I was like, I found your house. So he flew down. I sold him his house. And that guy was very connected in the fashion, art, and celebrity world. Wow. And he started to help build, he helped build my career because I started meeting a lot of the right people. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And so then you started just building from there, but now you actually built to an incredible team. Tell me where the transition was. Where did you sort of realize, I can build this, I can do this well on my own, and then realize okay, this is actually greater than I am. Where does that sort of like come into play? I think it happened um, organically in the sense that, you know, I had built my, my career selling a lot of the cool houses and representing a lot of very famous people along the way. And then I was probably about maybe 5 billion in sales, maybe 4.5 bill. And I was just sort of bored. Like I had already sold a lot. I had represented a lot of very famous people. I had sold some of the most famous homes and I, I couldn't figure out what my next step was because I wasn't, you know, ready for retirement. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm relatively young for, for retirement. And, and, and I was like, I, what's my next step in this business? And it led me to wanting to actually run a team or a company rather than just selling. Cause I felt like selling was very independent. It was great. But I wanted to teach, I wanted to grow, I wanted to help build people, I wanted to see people succeed, and I wanted to take a small portion. And so um, the team was the next organic step. And so tell me how that began. How did you get your first team member? I love the whole idea that it came out of mentorship, mm. like you wanted to give back. And I think yeah. that's beautiful. Uh, it, well, it wasn't just 100% wanting to give back, it was also wanting to give back to change the way I do my business because, yeah. you know, selling day to day, every day, it's exhausting. Sure. And so I wanted to give back, but also take a small portion of other people's sales and just do something different. Um, the team was hard. Actually. I had no idea what I was signing up for and building a team. I, I, you know, was like, Oh, let's just bring on a lot of people. And so, you know, we, we did that our first year and all of a sudden we had 50 people that weren't producing and all of a sudden yeah. I was being out of pocket for my staff and you know, I, it was like me exclusive. And all of a sudden now I was liable for, for the cost of all these people. And I realized that didn't work. So we had to like reevaluate who we wanted on our team, what our team is, what our culture is, how we're going to define it. Um, and so we did a total 180 of what we thought we wanted. And now obviously we're, we're doing really well and we're on a, a great trajectory, but it, it was a lot harder than I thought. It's a lot. And I respect, I look at these companies now that have, you know, we have 90 and I have a staff of 12, but I look at these multi-billion dollar companies and I'm like, it is so difficult to build culture. And, you know, there's just so many things in your hands and out of your hands that it's, it's pretty incredible actually. So tell me how that is. Cause that's really a great point. So how did you build the culture? How did it go from the fact that you realized, okay, that first one wasn't, that was a mistake for the model because I just took bodies in, but then you actually built an intrinsic model where you actually had the culture. You actually had your mission statement, right? Everybody knew what the same goal was. Take me through that transition. You know, I still don't have a mission statement, so it's still something I need to do. Um, <laughs> Let's do one right now. <laughs> we haven't done one, so I'll get on that. Um, 
you know, it, what I realized, I realized what we were good with and I realized what we weren't good with. So what we were good with is taking experienced agents and making them better. So if we had a $30 million producer, we could get them to 60 because we are, it was just our skill set. What I was not great at was taking brand new agents and teaching them actually how to do the business because for whatever reason, it's just, it, it, it wasn't my skill set, and I, I don't think I had the patience for it. So once we realized what we're good at, then we just targeted the people that we know we could help the most and or accepted the people that we could help the most. And that's how we really started to change our trajectory. And we said, look, we're a luxury team. We sell luxury houses. We want to give information the way it is, free-flowing, we don't want to be full of, you know, bullshit. We want to be real. And if we can be that person and you can be honest and sincere and real and you're knowledgeable and you have a history, then it could be a match. And once we started to do that, the rest became history because we were, we were, we were targeting the right people for us and vice versa. And, um, and even, even now, like it's a give and a take. Sometimes we interview people that have all the right things and we're like, they're just not culturally who we want because what we realized is one bad apple could yeah. see. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, we interviewed somebody the other day and I was just like, she's just not for us. Her, her, her attitude will hurt us, not help us. And that's one of the things I also learned selling, which is to walk away from deals. Right? We walk away from people all the time because if somebody is going to draw out all your bad energy, there's no reason to keep them around because you're going to be stuck in a bad place rather than in a good place. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was, when I was selling, I, I ran a team in, in Miami. This was like 15 years ago. And yeah. we were ranked like the top 1% of the state of Florida. And so I remember firing clients a lot because they yeah. would sort of like come in and mistreat my team. And, you know, it was like I was on a plane and they were like freaked out that they couldn't get a hold of me for two hours. And I was like, are you insane? It's yeah. like life is not that, 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 that cut and dry. No, it's not. And I love that, you know, a lot of clients think it, think that we work for them and we should be at their disposable 24 hours a day. And, um, and, and the truth is we all deserve lives. We have the right to be happy. We have the right to, you know, have love. We have the right to have kids. We have the right to have our own time. And so I actually started to do really well when I, through the line because there was a time when I did it and I was working 24 hours and I was unhappy and there was no way I was going to find love. There was nobody that like, that, there was no room. There's just no room. And so um, it wasn't until I started to make room and I would say, look, if you're calling me at seven o'clock, I'm not going to pick up the phone. I don't care how rich you are or what you're trying to do unless it's urgent. That is my time. Same thing in the morning, like in the morning, if it's too early, my time. Um, during the day, I, I work hard, but, you know, I'm very clear with people that we will get back to them as quickly as we can. But if you expect immediate, like, hello, the time you call, I might not be the person for that. And um, that saves me a lot of heartache, too, because I'm a friend about it. And you also change the conversation and the behavior with them and the relationship gets better. It's any other relationship, right? So the yeah. relationship with your client is a relationship that you would have with anyone else, your best friend, your your partner, whomever it is. And so yeah, if you're selling somebody's house, it's like you're married to them. Like you, That's right. you, you're you're in a very tight relationship until that house sells. And, right. um, and 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 so you know, I, I think expectations have been a really good key to my success. Um, and I tell people what I'm good at, and I tell people what I'm not good at, and I tell people what I do, and I tell people what I don't do. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because sometimes I'll say I won't be the person to, to show your house. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But 
sometimes I set the expectation that, you know, you know, sometimes I'm doing marketing, advertising, doing backend stuff. And so there might be my showing my showing partner that 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 does it and he's great and he's good at what he does and you should trust that. And when I started to set that expectation, I started having a much happier life because I didn't always have the drama of somebody being upset. Well, then it becomes the fact that it's your brand. So yeah. everyone that's representing your brand, it's as though they're your representative and your ambassador. So they're, they are you. Yeah. There. But that's, that's tricky with the trick. I mean, I will say that's the one thing about a team yeah. that's tricky and you have to let go of to a certain degree because not everybody will be me. Uh, not everybody has my same level of skill set. Uh, and so when you, when you have a bigger team that's, that's not just yourself, there needs to be some layers there. And you're, it took me a while to understand that and just be okay with it. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff happens even today. I mean, there's things that happen. I'm like, that's not my name. That's not my brand, but unfortunately it is. And we just have to kind of deal with it. Yeah. You know, I want to bring you back to something you were saying. You were saying that when you started creating that team and you got like that luxury agent that you can just make better. Yeah. Tell me three things that somebody would sort of come to you and you're saying, okay, I can take you from here to here. What are those three things with somebody that wants to break into the luxury market or someone that's there but wants to elevate? Yeah, I think first and foremost, most real estate agents just act as real estate agents. They're working on transactions, buying and selling. I think what they don't take the time to do is actually run a business. So I was the same. I was selling, selling, selling. And then I realized I had nothing to show for it other than money. And so it was at that moment that I said, I studied business. I said, what is any large corporation doing? Well, they have a publicist. They have, you know, technology divisions. They have intelligence divisions. They have marketing divisions. They have legal. And I literally went through step by step and set that up for myself. And when I set that up for myself and I started out a machine, all of a sudden, rather than just being an agent or selling houses, I had a business and it changed everything. So I think that that was one of the things um, that I did. I think people, agents are not great at marketing themselves. I think um, a lot of times people just kind of follow the rules of what they are taught. But what I noticed is today's world is totally different. It's based on technology. And what once worked in the past doesn't work today. And I have these kids that come into me and they're 22 years old and they've been in the business for like a year and they they sell 30 to $60 million dollars. And I have some people that are, have been in business for 45 years and are struggling. And so, you know, I think that the next thing we teach is think out of the box, be unique, find who you are and find your people and market to them. And I think people need to um, define who they are. There are something like 3 million agents in the United States, right? This business is infiltrated with people. There's too many people doing the same thing. And, and so if you don't think out of the box and you're not getting creative with your approach, I think you're out of business. Like, and so that's why we see some of the most successful people with the most entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that's key. And last but not least, I think that um, there's two other things that I think are really important. I think like, and by the way, I just learned this ironically, which is super weird selling $7 billion. Yeah. Uh, but goals, I, 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 I know this sounds crazy, but like you always need to have a goal every month, every day, every week, every year. And you literally need to work backwards on that goal and say, where am I today? 
Um, and it was funny because I never did that. And uh, oddly enough, I'm dating a banker uh, who, who's in banking. And he, he asked me one day, he's like, what's your goal? I was like, I take what I take when I take it. And he's like, insane. And he's like, what's your team goal? I was like, well, they're independent contractors. They're going to get what they get when they get it. And he's like, that's crazy. So we literally defined our goal, my personal goal, my team goal. And every day we're, we evaluate where we are, where we need to go, and are, are we on top of it or not? And it just gives a really, really good basis for, 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 for definition. Well, listen, I can only say that he's absolutely right, because I came from a banking world. So I was in banking for 10 years before I was in real estate and I've been in real estate 16 years now, 17 years. And so it's that it, I've always had that, that whole sort of like mindset of treating real estate like I did with banking. And it yeah. was crazy because we always say that success is a math problem, yeah. right? How much money do you want to make? Now yeah. work backward, divide it by 12, right? That's your monthly goal divided by four. That's your weekly goal. So those are really great to sort of like be able to achieve when you start thinking about that's the yearly goal. That seems really overwhelming. Yeah. When you break it down by a week. Oh, I can do that. And when you start to break it down, it becomes very simple. And then the last thing that I always teach people is if you're hitting your goals, the only way to grow is to grow. So you're doing 15 million or 10 million by yourself. It's time to get an assistant because you're going to get buried down with all of the documents, all the paperwork, all the time, and you're going to lose the opportunity to double down. And then when you hit your next school, it's time to get a buyer's agent and it's time to get a seller's agent. And, and, you know, we're big proponents of building people's businesses and teams rather than just selling real estate. And so those goals are the way to benchmark what the next step should be. I love that. I love that. All right, now let's go back to the thing that you do best. You're selling multi-million dollar homes. You're doing it better than anyone else really in the country pretty much. And you have now, but you know, there's a finite number of buyers for those things. So tell me how you get that message out to that buyer in Hong Kong or the buyer in London. How do you sort of get that global audience to put eyes on your properties? Well, I'll start with this. I don't think it's finite. The world has so much wealth. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, so the money that comes across my desk every day, like I can't, I, I don't do a whole lot of loans. The people that we work with, I'm seeing millions of dollars in these bank accounts. I'm, and I, I, even me, I'm like shocked about how much, how many people have so much money. So my first thing is, is, is always knowing that there is a lot of money out there and it's there for the taking and it's there for us to sell. Um, once we do that, the thing that has changed about the world is technology. When I started, we didn't have tech. Like it wasn't a thing. Like it was these old books and driving people around. And if you knew the person right, and if you didn't, you're kind of out of luck. Right. Today, anybody can run a global, international, national, localized company because through technology, you could target anybody. That's true. And I tell people, we'd, I don't even think as $7 billion, later, $7 billion later in sales, I don't have clients. I assume I have zero clients and I assume every day I have to start fresh because if I'm not in front of somebody's face, somebody else will be. And so the way that we do our best to target is obviously through tech. We advertise hugely through SEO, through PPC. We're like out there incredibly all over the world. We target the markets that we think are the most relevant. Hong Kong. I mean, it changes. I mean, I've lived through the Russia wealth moment, the China wealth right. moment. Yeah. Uh, right, we're living in an American wealth moment because yeah. Americans are just here. 
Um, so we're targeting where we think our buyers are at that moment in time. Uh, we are connecting with people that are managing their money and that's a key component. And we are making sure that if they, you know, I think most agents kind of, you know, throw a fishing rod out and there's a little hook and they're hoping to catch that one fish. I'm like, forget that fish. I want a net out into the entire world and I want to bring as many people in as I possibly can because that's how I'll be ahead of the game. So through connections and through networking and through technology, if there is a buyer coming from Hong Kong, we're usually aware that they're coming in and it works really well. You know, it's when you start shifting, I think, at your level where it's the idea that you're an advisor so someone coming in, looking at a 20, 30, $40 million home, you're an advisor to them in the same way that their attorney is, in the same way that their solicitor is, that their accountant is, they're all on the same table and you deserve that seat there. And I think that that's the mindset of going in and saying, listen, this is a valuable piece of property in your asset, in your portfolio. And so I think it's that sort of like shift in mindset almost when you're sitting in and you're not a transactional broker, you're an advisor. Well, the thing that's tricky, it's tricky because when I was young, I needed every dollar yeah. that I sold. So it was a different mindset and, and I don't disrespect it. It's just a tricky thing because we don't make money unless we sell. That's right. And buying client loyalty is difficult today because right. there's so much in front of the face. Once I got to the point where I didn't need to make that sell, my career doubled, tripled, and quadrupled because I thought of myself as an advisor and I talked so many people out of so many homes yeah. that they thought that they wouldn't make a move without me because I'm like, don't buy this. It doesn't have enough privacy and you're going to be in trouble. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. <laughs> but it wasn't until I really got into that mode of honesty and integrity and like, I don't, I, I would rather not sell you something bad than make money. And it was at that moment in time that people started hiring me. And it also wasn't until I started to do all the right things for my business that I had the confidence to be able to go into billionaires' houses and, and multimillionaires and people that were CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and more or less direct the real estate show because I truly believe that what I do is, is better than anybody else. And I believe that the core of what we we say and preach is honesty and you know and 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 if people are ready for it great and if people aren't i usually don't get hired and there's a lot of times even today i don't get hired because i would rather be honest and tell somebody what they don't want to hear and know that i can be successful rather than the reverse floor plan. and you could also be the second broker once they realize that you were telling them the truth my favorite thing i love being the right. second you know, being the second, third or fourth broker is the way to make money because, right. you know, sellers sometimes want to hear what they want to hear. Um, and they go down a path of the highest price and a year later and in, 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 in financial repercussions and emotional repercussions of that, they're ready. And so um, second and third brokers are a great position. Absolutely. It is. <laughs> All right. So let's go. Let's look at this. Let's break this down. So. $7 billion in sales, mostly focused on the luxury market. You're the star of, of uh, Listing Impossible. You've got a wonderful sort of portfolio that you have just built. Tell me what your most satisfying sale was. I've had so many, um, and it's so funny. I mean, I'll give you two, and I'll, I'll give you a quick version. 
One was like a $65 million teardown, two acres that I sold for $65 million. It was a Tear really down. tough sale. Yeah, pretty much. Um, sure. A really tough sale, but it was just something I'm proud of because it was such a significant dollar per acre and probably the highest in Beverly Hills ever. And uh, it made me proud. But recently I just sold, you know, I, I've sold $60 million homes, $100 million homes. I have some of the most expensive houses and I just sold a house three weeks to Coteville Family. And that was a million dollar sale. And I don't normally do that. I don't get that experience, but it brought me back to like, what we do is so important because, you know, a lot of times I deal with people that have so many homes and are at such a commercial level that the emotion isn't there. Mm-hmm. And I just sold this million dollar house and made me, it literally teared me up because they were so happy and they it was just what they wanted. And it was a, a milestone in their life. And just to be a small part of that milestone made me feel so good and it brought me back to the human side of our business because in many ways today i consider myself a marketer rather than just a realtor i feel like i I run a really large marketing company sure yeah but i mean it's sort of like it is you know you you change lives sometimes this is this is sometimes the person who just bought that for a million dollars is probably going to be the largest purchase they've ever done right you change lives and the other thing that like you, you know, there was an episode on our show and, um, you know, this woman was trying to, you know, she was getting a divorce. The house was her settlement. She was ill. By. She had had this house on the market for four years. And on TV, we literally said, look, your house is $4 million overpriced. You're never going to sell it. If you want to move on from your ex-husband and this house, get rid of it. And she didn't understand it. And, you know, if, if somebody wants to watch this episode, you'll see it. We, we explained in factual points why the house was $4 million too high. She listened and the house sold for exactly what we said it would sell for. And, you know, I told my production company prior to the show, I said, I'm not an actor. I don't know how to lie. I don't know how to act. So the only way that I can give you a good show is if you just follow me and follow what I do. Otherwise it's going to suck. And so they, they listened. And so what you see on the show is real. Um, it's accurate. And she legitimately, and you, this was on camera, was so happy. Like she was disappointed by the number, but she was happy when it was done. Cause it was the truth. Cause it was the truth. And, and it got her moving on. And, and I thought to myself, there's so many implicate people don't realize the implications of what we do. Like yeah. people, you know, it's, it's, it's moving up, it's moving down. It's financial ruin. It's, it's life, it's death, it's divorce. And there's a consequence to every action. And so I just, I, I hope that our industry elevates because what we do is so important. It's so true. It's so true. And it actually, my next question was actually going to be in that realm. So you have a lot of sellers that are not necessarily realistic. And so how do you get them down to reality? I mean, you just gave a beautiful example, but you know, is it just really that truth that you tell them? It it is. Yeah. It's the truth that, you know, you know, I used to have goggles on. You know, you know, they, there's a saying, beer goggles. Yeah. I used to do that on houses. I would walk into a house. I'd want the commission. I'd want the money. I'd want the house. So I'd see all the beauty and I'd tell the oh my God, your house is so beautiful. It's incredible. And then I would get it signed. I'd list it. And then I would walk the house with a buyer. And the buyer, I would see every flaw immediately. And I'm like, oh my God, I overpriced this house. I was completely wrong. And I just messed up. And so I trained my eyes to look for flaws rather than the nice. I look for the bad, actually. And that way, I tell the sellers what the challenges will be before the challenges. And that helps me to land on the truth. And the truth, if a client's ready for it, will help them sell their house 
for the shortest in the shortest amount of time for the highest dollar amount. And that's the that's the simple math. It comes back to simple math, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. The truth, the truth. I mean, I guess the truth sells, right? Like, um, and if somebody doesn't want to hear the truth or doesn't buy into it, then let them go with somebody else. And 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 because at the end of the day, we're middlemen, right? All all we can do is educate. But as the saying goes, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And yep. so, you know, there has to be an element in our business of release. Like, I'm going to give you the truth and release it and let you decide how you want to handle it from here. And yeah. that happens right to the market. Correct. Yeah. Even after the listing, I mean, I brought a guy an offer of $62 million last week for a house that was worth 40. He has it at 69 and I couldn't get him to take it. And I'm like thinking to myself, you know, I'm not going to tell you who, but I'm like, this guy is an idiot. He's an idiot. Like, this is yeah. insane. But it is what it is. And, you know, it was just, it's one of the struggles of our business that we deal with day in and day out and, and, and part of what we do. And I think that, you know, we have to be okay with winning, but we also have to be okay with losing because right. this business does have a loss. And I kind of give it the 60, uh, maybe 65, 35 rule. Hopefully you win, you know, 60 to 70%. And if you lose 30, it is what it is. Cause you can't always get people to do what you think is right. That's very true in life or in work or anything. Right. Right. And, and, and the variable about our business, and this is the part that sucks is there's that 1%, that 1% buyer that's going to walk into a house and go, I love it and overpay. And there, you can't account for that either. And so you know, you know, you know, there was a, recently a house that they bought for seven, five, they did the worst remodel I've ever seen, probably 700 and they wanted 12, six for the house. And I was like, you guys are insane. It's never going to happen. You guys are so off. And they're like, well, let's try. And of course I was wrong. And they got multiple offers and it sold at 13. <laughs> and I thought to myself, it shows you what I know, which is like all these years, basically yeah. nine. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other 30%. That's the 30%. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That 30% was a win because I ended up selling it and I won. Oh, that's true. But <laughs> I, I was accounting for that 30% to be a loss. So, that's insane. 1% actually. So maybe that comes to my next question. Tell me the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career. Oh my God. That's a really hard question. Um, I think life changes and life changes for the good and life changes for the bad. And we need to change with it and we need to evolve and we need to be able to ride the roller coaster because I've seen the richest people become poor and I've seen the poorest people become rich and I've seen the healthiest people become sick and the happiest people become unhappy. And all of that means that they call me to do some sort of transaction when those moments are happening. And um, I think the biggest lesson is to just like enjoy life, man. Enjoy it. Whether you're having a good day, whether you're having a bad day, whether you made money, whether you lost money, um, because it, it can literally all be taken away at the sh at, 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 in one second. And I've seen it and, um, you know, I've seen the good and I've seen the bad and I've seen the ugly. And so, um, I do my best to like roll with, roll with the day. And, um, I kind of judge myself based on how I react to reactions. You know, if, yeah. if somebody's, if somebody's trying to rile me up, if I don't react in a bad way, then I just want, you know, if, if a client's trying to, you know, fire me and I, I, I handle it in a way that's professional, honorable, and with respect to that client, I just want. Yeah. 
You know, there's, this is the first time you and I meet, but there's some, you know, there's a great humility about you and there's a great and beautiful sort of centeredness that you have. What's, what is there like, is that like a spiritual base that you have? It's a really sort of like beautiful center that you're working from. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't always that way. Um, I think, uh, you know, 15 years ago, probably did a lot of things that I, I wouldn't be proud of today. Um, but I had, to, I had to work on myself. I think um, the funny thing is today people, people call me the, the guy that says the truth. Yeah. Based on my show and everything else. And it's true. But 15 years ago, I was the biggest liar in history. Like I was, I, I was lying about everything because I felt that I didn't have the same self-worth as some of my peers. Mm-hmm. And so, and I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I thought the only way to be able to compensate for that is to, is to pretend. Um, and one day an assistant that I had was quit on me. Um, and was like, you're the biggest liar. Like, she's literally like, yeah. And it, for some reason, it just hit me at that moment. And I was like, God, she's right. So I went and talked to somebody about it. And, 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 and the, the, this life coach of mine said, just cut it up, only speak the truth. And I did that. And I saw this huge resurrection of, of not only money, but like confidence. And, you know, you always want to be able to look you know, whether you win or whether you lose or whether you made money or whether you don't, you want to look at yourself and be like, I did the best that I could and I made the right decision. And as long as I'm in line with that, I feel like I'm in a good place. And if I did something that was not in line with that, then it was probably the wrong move to make. Yeah. Yeah. But it's now I feel guilty about everything I do. Or like, I, I, now I hold myself to the standard of like, <laughs> now, now, now I'm like, I have to train myself to just let it go too. I'm like, okay, I, you know, you're, we're, we're not perfect. We're not even close to perfect. We're going to make mistakes. And if we fuck up, fuck up and move on. Sorry, can I say that on your show? I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. yeah, why not? You just so, did. <laughs> so I think we're okay. <laughs> you don't want me to say that on, my, on, on, on our network. But it's anyway. always fun. It's always fun. So I know that you're also... You know, you're, you're incredibly philanthropic as well as I did a little bit of research. Tell me a little bit about those philanthropic efforts that you're working on currently. So, you know, we, we, we have the Kerman uh, Charity Fund, which is a fund that, you know, we, we give back to people as much as we possibly can. Um, I learned a long time ago, the more that I give, the more I get. So I, I hate to say it's selfish, but I, I like giving back because it just comes back to me in so many different ways. Maybe it's a, a selfish thing, but... Um, you know, I, I know I have my passion project, which I love dogs. And so, you know, we're always helping to, um, save dogs from, from, from death, getting euthanized. Um, when, one, one day we had a, a doggy open house. I remember that was really fun. Nice. Uh, and we got about 30 dogs adopted in like a $35 million house. And we actually ended up selling that house. Um, oh, actually, no, we didn't sell that house. We lost the house. Never mind. But we got 35 30% again. Yeah, that was, that was the 30 <laughs> Um, but you know, we also run a team and a lot of people have a lot of passion projects. So we do our best to give back to everyone and, um, give back to our communities and, um, recognize that not everybody is as fortunate as us. And, you know, just because I sell all these luxury homes, there's a lot of people that are struggling out there. And, um, you know, our goal is to help people just get off the ground and, um, you know, you could say what you want about the United States, but the one thing I believe is it's the land of opportunity. Absolutely. Um, you know, we may be having, you know, you know, a lot of issues right now and political differences, but um, I still think anybody can make it in this country. And so we do our best to help people get there. I love that. 
You know, it's so true. I mean, I'm, I'm the son of immigrants and it is that idea that you come here and you work hard and it's the idea, you know, my, my dad's from Cuba and my dad was uh, uh, Batista's chief legal counsel and, wow. um, and was a political prisoner because of that. And when he came to, to New York, you know, he went to law school and went and did his thing and, you know, and sort of rebuilt, but always had that sense of, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed, you know, it could all be taken away. And yeah. you just sort of like go and you just go and do the best you can and help as many people as you can along the way. Yeah, I, I, and, and, and we're lucky to have that opportunity. Yeah. Not everybody does, not every country has. Um, I think that everybody with the right intention, thought process and strategy can get there. It's, and I'm not saying financial, like, you know, you, you know, there's different scales there, but I, I think that having a nice life is certainly possible. It, it, that's exactly it. So I have one more question for you. In your current book of life, what's this chapter called? This chapter? This chapter right now. Man, uh, cleaning out the old, bringing in the new. Um, I'm really focusing on on getting rid of what doesn't work and what no longer serves me and only focusing on the things that serve me and are going to help increase my life. And that meant that we had to get rid of some friends. That means that we had to get rid of some partners. That means that we had to make some changes uh, in our organization and, and personal life. But um, I really am in a, a period where I just... I don't have the energy or the time for things that don't elevate me yep. or make me feel good about myself. And so um, I'm really trying to get rid of the things that just aren't there and, and, and build the ones that are. And, um, and it took a long time to get there though, because, you know, we, we all have attachments to things and people. And, 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 and so um, getting rid of that attachment uh, is, is a constant struggle, but, but we're working on it. I love that one. That one's great. So Aaron, thank you so much. I mean, it was so great to spend time with you to really get to know you. And I felt like I really did get to know you. And it was, you were so generous with your time, with your responses and just with who you are. You deserve all of your success. Thank you for giving back so much to the community and thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for being a guest on today's show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great to get to know you and hopefully we'll talk soon. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez.